going to take a quick break from our Acts sermon series. We're going to focus for the full month, those Sundays in the month of November, on this attitude and this idea of thanksgiving. And we're going to talk about this idea of total thanksgiving, an attitude totally devoted to the thanksgiving of the Lord. To get you thinking along those lines, I take you back to my collegiate years. I was playing baseball at the University of Memphis. It was still Memphis State University. And I was leaving practice one day. Our baseball facility was off the main campus. And so I would get up at 7 in the morning, or my first class started at 7. I would get out of class 12.30, had to be dressed on the baseball field by 1.30. We usually got done with baseball practice around 6.30, and literally it was all day, every day, year-round. And I was coming back, headed back to the dorm, and I really just didn't want to eat the cafeteria food. Anybody who's been to college can relate to that, amen? And I was having to drive by one of my family's favorite restaurants when I was growing up in Memphis. It was called Beretta's famous Italian restaurant. Well, Beretta's was known for three things. They were known for barbecue. That's on the left-hand side because they took a sandwiched bun. They took a bun, not regular bun, but a sandwich roll, and they did that barbecue inside that and loaded it down with their special sauce, and it was known all throughout the Memphis area. They were famous for their hamburger steaks loaded with onions and gravy. But my favorite, because it was an Italian place, was this in the middle. Now, here in Missouri, we would call that what? Pizza. Yeah. The Beretta family didn't call it pizza. They called it a pie. It was an Italian pie. And they made their Italian pie two ways, with or without. With pepperoni or without pepperoni. That was the two choices you had. They made their pies with or without. And, and I, I showed up that day, and my wife could attest to this. She's been with me a long time. I've always had a pretty good appetite, but in college... I had an appetite that didn't even quantify as an appetite. It was large. This was a large pizza, the size of an inner tube, 24 inches, 24 inches. And I sat down, and Miss Beretta, listen, at Beretta's restaurant, every person who worked there was a family member. And the oldest of the matriarchs waited tables. No kidding, she waited tables. Miss Beretta comes over, she says, Justin, she knew me by name. I I was a kid there. Listen, got in trouble in that restaurant, first time in public when I was five years old. I was seated in my seat, and I was a little bit ADD, and I was kicking the seat behind me. Boom, boom, boom. And Miss Beretta walked over, and she told me to stop, and I did. From that point forward, I just feared her the rest of my life. And so Miss Beretta came over. She said, Justin, what do you want? I said, I want a large width. And she said, when are your friends going to get here? You know, we want to make sure it's hot. I said, oh, no, no, no. Miss Beretta, it's just me. And she looked at me. She said, a medium width. I said, no, ma'am. I want a large width with. And Miss Beretta said, okay, here's the rule in my house. She called the restaurant her house. You don't leave until you eat it all. Your own. And she brings it out. And y'all, I kid you not, this thing covered like the tabletop. I mean, it was absolutely massive. And she said, hold on, hold on. And she brought the salad out too, man. You've been so proud. I ate the salad to go along with it. She brought the salad out. She said, you don't leave until you're done. That was perfect for me. Because at about 19 years old, I could have eaten two of those things. And so there was a ball game on TV, and so I'm in my element. I've got a pie and a, just a little bit of a salad just to aggravate it, you know. And so, so I've got this pie, and I'm watching this game. An hour goes by, and I have eaten that whole thing. And Miss Beretta comes back out, and she looks, and she goes, you've got to be kidding me. She goes, you want me to call 911? And I just kind of laugh. No, I'm good. I'm about to walk right on out of here. I said, I'll be back next week. She said, I know you will. And she said, next time, next time, I will make it little more challenging. And so her final comment as I was walking out was this. She was telling Mr. Beretta, the guy who ran the place, she said, Justin ate the whole thing. That's exactly what she said. He ate the whole thing. Well, church, here's why I tell you that. Because David in Psalm 138, because like I said, we're going to take a break from the Acts just for a moment. 
And we're going to focus on the Psalms over the next three weeks. I'm going to share with you this morning. Steve Young's going to share with you. Uh, Pastor Jeff is going to share with you. Then we're going to close out the month with the Lord's Supper. But, but in 138, King David is writing. Here's this guy defined as a man after God's own heart. And what he starts talking about is not this whole thing that we consume, but he talks about the whole thing that should consume us. So we're going to flip it over. Instead of us consuming this whole thing, what David teaches us in relationship to thanksgiving is what should actually consume us. And he talks about the whole part of us. See, David, as he starts to list out some of God's attributes, we're going to talk about it. If you want to have an attitude of thanksgiving, God's attributes have to be included. He starts talking about what God has done for him. If you want to have an attitude of thanksgiving, what God has done for you has got to be included. But what David talks about is what must take place in himself. Not just what God is, who God is, what God has done, but who David must become in relationship to that God creator of the universe. And church, here's what he tells us. Here's the central theme I want to drive your thoughts this morning. David relays to us that God is worthy of an attitude that is totally devoted to thanksgiving. Now please hear me. A couple key thoughts there. An attitude. We want to talk about what an attitude is. An attitude is not a feeling. An attitude is not a feeling. We'll get to that in the text in just a moment. But here's the other part of that. Totally devoted. I ate the whole thing. David says the whole thing should be totally devoted to this attitude of thanksgiving. Y'all listen to me. This is a change of time Monday tomorrow. You know what that means? It's the worst Monday of all. And yet tomorrow, you're supposed to have an attitude based on what we're going to study today, totally devoted to Thanksgiving. And so here's where we're going to end today. We're going to talk about how do we pull that off? How do we pull it off? How tomorrow can my attitude be an attitude of Thanksgiving all day? Not just when I get up. Because see, that's easy for me. When I first get up, I'm a morning person. My wife will tell you. I love mornings. And I can get up and sing in the shower. I try not to because it wakes everybody up. The dogs howl. But... but but it's one of those deals where I've got an attitude of thanksgiving. But maintaining an attitude of thanksgiving all day long on a fallback Monday could be just a little bit challenging. I don't like it when it gets dark at 5. See, I just started right there. That wasn't Thanksgiving. Y'all heard me, right? I don't know about you. I find no difficulty in locating something to gripe or complain about. I find no difficulty in locating something to gripe or complain about. But you know what does not define me? An attitude of thanksgiving all day long. David is talking about a heart totally devoted to this attitude of thanksgiving. Let's study together this morning. Pray with me if you would. Father, thank you that we've already been able to express to you our worship now, Father. We want to take that more deeply. Fathers, we have sung from the center of our emotions. Now we want to engage the very depth of the intellect that you've given to us. We pray for a couple of things. I pray that your Holy Spirit would meet us there. And you've promised that you would. Secondly, Father, I pray another promise, that you would grant us your wisdom as we study. That, Father God, that we wouldn't be studying with our own sinful minds. That, Father, through the power of your Spirit, you would help us to understand truth from truth. That your Spirit would be discerning within us and helping us to understand and grasp the principles we're going to study. And, Father, what I pray results from this message today, what I pray results from our time of corporate worship is tomorrow this church would be defined. Defined all day long, all day long by an attitude totally devoted to giving thanks to the one that deserves our thanks. Father, hear this prayer. We pray it collectively in the precious name of Christ Jesus and all of God's people said. Amen. Start with me if you would by reading 
in Psalm 138. I will give you thanks with all my heart. I will sing you praise before the heavenly beings. That phrase, give you. So I will give you thanks. Obviously, it's an action verb. It's the word in Hebrew, yada. And it means to throw something. But what it always implies is the voice. And so here's what David says. If I want to display an attitude of thanksgiving, one of the things that it must include every time is the giving of my voice, the throwing of my voice. So if you want to worship God, it is something that you do outwardly. Yes, we can have an attitude of worship internally, but if I've got an attitude of worship internally, it can't help but get out externally. And David says it's going to get out externally through the expressions of my voice. And so please hear me. Words have meaning. Make yours mean something tomorrow. Make yours mean something the remainder of this day. Make them mean this expression of thanksgiving. This is what David says. I will give this to you. I'm going to throw this out to you. Notice... I'm going to do this. This is how committed I am. This is how all in I am. I'm going to do it with all my heart. The word heart doesn't mean heart. It doesn't refer to the beating muscle in the chest. It's the Hebrew word lave. It means the inner self, the inner man, the inner person. It means the mind. And so if you're going to worship God and you're going to have an attitude of thanksgiving that is totally devoted to God the way David is talking about, it is going to take your logical thinking mind tomorrow morning. Yeah, I know we're a little shadowy before the coffee kicks in. I get that. But get your coffee. And once you get your coffee, a little caffeine, a little blood flow, here's what David says. There needs to be a logical, rational process that takes place in your head that leads to one action and one action alone. That is you giving thanks to God. I will go ahead and tell you that will probably not define all of my moments tomorrow, but we're going to work at it, right? We're going to commit to work towards that. We've got a month. We're going to devote this month to thanksgiving. And by the end of this month, we're going to be better at this than what we are in the morning. We're going to get better. We're going to grow at this because David grew as well. I will sing your praise before the heavenly beings. That phrase, before the heavenly beings, that's caused a lot of ruckus, so to speak, a lot of study in the past, because the Hebrew word there, neged, means be conspicuous of. David says, I'm worshiping privately. Please hear me. You're going to see it in just a minute. He talks about facing the temple, which means what? He's not in the temple. So so he's not at the temple for corporate worship. This is his private worship moment. And here's what David says in his private worship moment. I'm going to be conspicuous. I'm going to be clear. I'm going to be visible for all to see. And so we believe when he says heavenly beings, what he's referencing there are the false gods of his day. He's not talking about simply angelic beings. He's not talking about the the sun, the moon, and the stars. I heard somebody translate it that way. Now, what David is saying is what the church in America has forgotten. See, we have forgotten about being conspicuous Christians. Now we're kind of undercover Christians. Why? Because we don't want to offend anybody anymore. We've chosen political correctness over biblical pursuit. We've chosen to bite our tongues when we need to be screaming from the mountaintops what David said. I will be conspicuous in front of all these worlds and their governments and their false gods. I will be conspicuous in my recognition of Jesus as God. If the church ever gets excited about Jesus again, look out. But until we get excited about Jesus, the only excitement we're going to experience is going to be right here. But what we should want is out there. David says, I'm going to be conspicuous. I will not shy away from the name of Jesus. Many Christians don't want to talk about their faith in circles outside of their church today because they don't want to offend. Jesus offended all the time. Did y'all forget that? 
He didn't offend with harshness and rudeness. What did he offend with? He offended with truth. Let me challenge you a little bit. You want to have an attitude of thanksgiving, offend with truth, and don't be ashamed. Offend with truth. What does that mean? We never back down, and we love them to the cross. Never back down, and we love them to the cross. David says, I'll be conspicuous. In my private worship, here's what I'm going to do. Verse 2, I will bow down. You know what bow down means? It means place yourself under. So I'm going to recognize that God is God, I am not. And in my private moments, notice, he's not doing this for sight. People aren't watching him so they could go, oh, King David so loves God. No, this is in his shower moment. This is him by himself. He said, I'm going I'm to place myself under God when nobody's watching. So that's who I am in reality. I wonder how often we are who we act like we are during the if we're really that on the inside. David says, I'm going to bow down to God towards your holy temple. All that means is God's presence. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that we don't have to turn like six times a day or four times a day or five times a day? We don't have to stop what we're doing and turn a certain direction and pray that direction because that's the direction of God. Aren't you glad that God's just in us all over? Like, you know, he's in the north. God's in the east. He's in the west. God was definitely in the south. You know, that's where God stays all the time, right? Yes, amen. I didn't get it. Amen. Come on now. Listen, listen, aren't you glad you don't have to turn a direction to try to find God? He's just all over. I mean, David would love this. Remember, David didn't get possessed by the Spirit because this is pre-Jesus. And so David would have loved that he could just worship God in any direction there was. Not towards the temple. This is awesome. He said, I'm going to bow my spirit down before you. I'm going to give thanks to your name. It's not just name. The word there is shem in Hebrew. It means reputation. It means the person. So it's not just the name of Jesus. Yes, that's the name above all names. Why? Not just because it's the greatest name, but because it's the greatest person. So he, he says, I'm, I'm going to worship you for who you are. See, here's the deal. If you only give thanks to God for what he's done for you, then you are missing it. That's treating God like Santa Claus. As long as you're giving me the good gifts out of the sleigh, we're all right, God. But here's what David says, I'm going to worship you because of who you are, not because of what you've done. He's going to get to the what you've done, but that's secondary. Our worship and adoration and our thanksgiving, our attitude devoted to thanksgiving should be about who God is, who Jesus is, not simply what Jesus has done. That makes him a performing God. So when he doesn't perform for you the way you want him to do, what happens? Oh, God doesn't love me. Oh, I feel so far away from God. That's all satanic lies, by the way. God doesn't change. That's what the truth says. So we need to be thankful to God for who He is, not what He has done. Notice, He names this, for your constant love and truth. That phrase, constant love, that's a very common theme throughout the entire Old Testament. It's the Hebrew word hesed. Hesed, that may mean nothing to you, but this needs to become your favorite Hebrew word. No kidding. Hesed. It means loyalty or obligation to the community. Here's what David says. I am worshiping you. I'm giving you praise in private. I am bowing myself down below you because you are loyal. Y'all listen, I've had good friends. I've been a part of special operations teams, teams that I still respect and value to this day. I've been on athletic teams, but I've had people also who claim to be my friend, but when things got tough for me, they were nowhere to be found. You know what he just said about God? I bow myself down before you because you are always loyal to the community. You are always obligated. Listen, listen. God is not obligated because of something he owes us. God is obligated to us because he declared it. Did y'all get that? 
God is not obligated. See, sometimes I'm obligated, and I'm obligated because there's a contract and I have to do something, and sometimes those things I have to do, I really don't like to do. Can anybody say amen on that one? Right? Get this. God's obligation to us is self-imposed. He does it because he loves it. There's a difference. I do some things because I have to. God does this. He is loyal to you because he wants to be. Can you imagine the God of the universe wants to be obligated to you? He wants to give you. He wants to owe to you his loyalty. You have exalted your name and your promise above everything else. On the day I call, so now, so now as he has worshipped God for who he is and his attributes and his character, now he goes to praising God for what God has done. Notice, self came second. God came first, self came second. On the day I called, you answered me. You increased my strength within me. This is cool. You'll love this. Second favorite Hebrew word, rahab. Strength, it means storm or assault. So in the middle of my storm, when did God show up? Right then. In the middle of my fight, when the assault was at its hottest moment, when the battle was raging, when did God show up? Right then. And that's what David's doing. He's praising God. It is at the moment that I needed you the most, that's when you showed up. Some of our earthly friends, when the moment gets the hottest, they're somewhere in the shade. When your moment gets the hottest, where's God? He's putting out the fire. He's putting out the fire. All the kings, all of a sudden, get this. Y'all, I love the part about Scripture that all of this is inspired, that the Holy Spirit's writing through David. You do understand David doesn't know who Jesus is yet. This is pre-Jesus. He knows about Messiah but he doesn't know the person of Jesus as the Messiah. And so he starts to write messianically. And, and in fact, David wouldn't even know he was doing this. All the kings on earth will give you thanks, Lord. Why do we know this is messianically? Because let me ask you, do all the kings on earth right now praise Jesus as Lord? No. Do all the man-made governments on earth right now recognize God as sovereign? No. And so we know that David is speaking messianically. He says, all the kings on earth... They are going, they are definitely going to give you praise. They're going to be the ones that are under you. When they hear what you have promised, and please hear me, uh, what you have promised doesn't simply refer to his promises. The way that's worded in Hebrew means the totality of the word. He says, all of the kings on earth are going to give you praise for the totality of the word. You, you know what that really means, right? John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word became flesh. And that flesh, the Word, dwelt among us. So, so who is he talking about? All the kings on the earth, when they hear the voice of Jesus, are going to give him praise. In fact, how can he say that? Well, the book of Revelation clarifies it, right? What does it say? Every knee will what? Every tongue will what? That Jesus Christ is Lord. David is prophesying this thousands of years. Thousands of years before we exist. So thousands of years before the second coming. They will sing of the Lord's ways. This is so cool. Listen, they will sing of the Lord's ways. That is not how God acts. They're not going to sing about how God acts. What are they going to sing about? What did Jesus say? I am the way. This is the word direct. Direct in Hebrew. It means the path or the journey or the way. And so here's what David is saying. All of the kings of the earth, they're going to sing about who Jesus is. Not about what Jesus has done, not how he acts, not even his attributes. They're just going to acknowledge who Jesus is. Here's what they're going to acknowledge. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And this is going to happen. Trust me, this is going to happen. And if God is gracious, it will happen in some of our lifetimes. I look forward to that moment. 
They will sing of His ways because the Lord's glory is great. Though the Lord is exalted... Oh, man, listen. Ooh, boy, this speaks directly to me. Though the Lord is exalted, He takes note of the humble. Ooh, listen. Sapal is the word. It means the low. It means the depressed. It means those who are ignoble. You know what ignoble means? Ignoble means that you don't self-exalt. You don't view yourself more highly than you should view yourself. Notice what it says. The Lord Himself takes note of us when we are humble. I want you to listen to the other side of that coin. and This should guard our thoughts. But He knows the haughty from a distance. You know what that phrase means in Hebrew? It means He is not a friend of the haughty. He is an intimate friend to those who recognize their need for Him, for those who do not recognize their need for Him in all things. Notice, not just some things. What did David say? I will give you thanks with how much of my heart? All of myself. The totality of my being. And if you don't recognize your need for me in everything that you do, I am far from you. I'm not your friend. This should be a reminder for us in the morning when we get up to praise Him. And here's where David talks about God's deliverance. If I walk into the thick of danger, you will preserve my life from the anger of my enemies. You will extend your hand, your right hand, which is the position of authority. The hand of power will save me. Notice this is one of my favorite sayings. I ask God, why are you taking me through troubled waters? God replied, because your enemies can't stop. What happened to Pharaoh and his army? God took them into the midst of the waters, right? What happened when they got in the midst of the waters? The enemies of the Israelites disappeared. Your enemy may not be removed immediately, but God has your enemy and He will drown it in the presence of His glory. The Lord will fulfill His purpose for me. What did Paul say? He who has begun this work in me is faithful to do what? He's going to finish it. Whatever great spiritual job God has begun in you, He is going to complete it. He will finish the construction process. There will be no falling short and no timeline that's overlooked. Lord, your faithful love. Here it is again, hesed. Your favorite Hebrew word, hesed. Your faithful love. Your obligation to the community endures forever. And notice how he ends this. He goes through this whole act of praise, this whole act of thanksgiving, and notice how he ends it. Please do not abandon the work of your hands. He's praising God for all God is, for all God will be in the, in the mouths of future kings and leaders, for all God has done for him personally. And then he comes, he closes with this thought. Lord, here's how all in I am. If you don't continue, I'm lost. Please don't abandon me. I, I, need, I need you to get this. I need you to understand the grit and determination it's going to take for you tomorrow to possess an attitude of thanksgiving all day. Listen. If you think this is going to be cake, you are sadly underestimating what tomorrow's going to be like. You know why? Because we're discussing it. And now we've drawn our attention to it, and guess who is also going to know? The enemy is going to know. And the enemy is going to do everything tomorrow to undo everything you're committing to do today. And so here's the level of grit and determination that you've got to display in order to be successful tomorrow. One of my favorite shows is on Discovery. It's called Surviving the Cut. Again, I just I can't take the special operations stuff out and separate that from being a pastor. It's one and the same guy. And so I like shows about special ops and all that. Out of all the episodes, and they cover everything from Navy SEAL Buds to Air Force Pararescue to all the Ranger training, the Green Beret training, Re Marine Force One recon guys, 
all the special operators, and they're all talented and gifted. My favorite episode, however, is the Special Forces, Army Special Forces Diver. Because in every one of the other special operations groups, none of those people who are trying out, none of those people are already special operators except for one tryout process, and that is the Special Forces Diver. Every guy who goes to the Special Forces Diver tryout process is already a Green Beret. In fact, three years of combat minimum. These are hardened, skilled operators. They are some of the toughest of the tough, and they go back for this eight-week training program in order to get this dive certification. The pass rate's about 50%. And remember what I just said. These are hardened combat special operators. But here's the most amazing thing about it. During those eight weeks, this is the kind of stuff they do on the top right. They'll take them down. There's a 50-foot deep pool. They'll take them down 50 feet. They'll black their mask out. Literally, they put this thing on it, and they can't see. It's pitch black dark. They will cut off all of their dive gear, take it off of them. They'll pull their mask off, pull their weight belt off. And before they surface, they have to get everything working and back on. If they surface without getting it on, you fail, and you're sent back to the beginning if you choose to put yourself back through that abuse. But the final test occurs on the final day of week eight. This is how their training closes. Anybody ever been in an Olympic-sized pool before? You know, that's not like your average garden tub, right? The Olympic-sized pool takes just a little bit to swim from one end to the other. Let me tell you about their final test. Each of these operators, if you can't tell in this bottom picture if it's not clear enough, that operator's feet and hands are bound. And his hands are bound behind his back. They start on one end of the Olympic-sized pool, and they have to swim what they call two revolutions. That is down and back in an Olympic-sized pool. You get one breath. The breath you start with and the breath when you surface on the opposite wall, that's the only breath you get. Down and back. Guess what happens if you break the surface for any reason? Any reason. You got one more shot. You got one more shot. If you break the surface for any reason, you got one more shot. Guess what happens if you break the surface a second time? You have gone through eight weeks of training to be sent home. Eight weeks of abuse you have endured to lose it in the final exam. It is pass-fail only. You get two shots. You know what happens in this event? Every year they do it. Every year. You know what happens in this event? Two to three special operators drown. They revive them, but they drown. And they've interviewed those special operators. One of the guys was the coolest ever. He was as calm talking about drowning as you and I are about eating a pizza. And they were like, man, what, you know, what was it like? He said, well, you know you can't break the surface. That's the rule. Don't break the surface. He says, you know you can't break the surface, so you swim till you can't breathe, and then you swim some more. And he said, all of a sudden, everything just gets warm, fuzzy, and white, and it's all good. Some guy's pumping the water out of your lungs on the side of the pool. He said, because the only thing that matters is what? Is not breaking the surface. The only thing that matters is not breaking the surface. Hey, listen, listen, Christ follower. The only thing that matters tomorrow is you refusing to break the surface. We're in this pool called life, right? And y'all listen. The top side of the pool, that's heaven. And forgive my very poor grammar in English, we ain't there yet. Where are we? I'm subsurface. I'm in the pool 
and my feet and my hands are bound. And some days it's just flat out hard. There's illness. There's surgery. There's emotional distress. Grief. Fear. Anxiousness. Depression. There's money that's short. There's my children who are sick and I've got a full-time job and I can't get them well to get them back to school and, and there's just this pressure of being mom and dad. There's pressure of trying to keep everything on the calendar and please every person that's on that list. There's pressure of trying to get enough sleep. Let alone the leaves in the yard, the dust on the furniture and the dog hair in the floor and the toilet that needs to be scrubbed. Y'all, this is just life, and that's where we live, right? This is where we live. You know what David said? Here's what David said. Don't dare break the surface and lose your attitude of thanksgiving in the midst of it. Don't dare break the surface and dare lose your attitude of thanksgiving in the middle of being under the surface. What does that look like? Number one, we need to engage the full attentiveness of our minds. Here's what I'm going to challenge you to do, to engage the full attentiveness of your mind, to be focused on Thanksgiving. Here's what I ask that you do for the month of November. Every day, read a psalm. I'm not asking you to change your Bible study program. Don't, don't scrap your Bible study plan. Don't stop meeting with D group. You, you, keep, you keep those commitments, right? In addition to that, here's what I'm asking you. And I rarely do this because I know you're busy. But I'm asking you for every day in the month of November, read a psalm. Because as you read the psalm, here's what's going to happen. When you, when you drop down to number four, here's some of the things that are going to happen. The psalm itself is going to help you focus on the person of God. The psalm itself is going to list out for you some of the attributes of God. So you're not going to have to come up with this on your own. So by reading a psalm every day, we're, we're committing the full attentiveness of our minds to have an attitude totally devoted to thanksgiving. Because I don't want thanksgiving to be thanksgiving day. I want thanksgiving to be every day. Minus all the stuff that we don't need to eat, right? Number two, worship when no one else is around. If this is the only worship activity you participate in all week, you are not possessing an attitude of thankfulness. Man, that was really good. Hang on, let me say that again. If this is the only worship you do all week, you do not possess an attitude that is totally devoted to thanksgiving. Remember what I said about Psalm 138? David was worshiping in private. That was simply an overflow of his heart. This wasn't him impressing anybody. Oh, look at the man after God's own heart. Look at me. No, this was David in his own shower singing his praise to God only for David and God to know. This wasn't to impress. This was to worship. Choose submission when you've got the chance. When you've got the chance to either read a psalm or not read a psalm, choose submission. When you've got a chance to say that critical word or not say that critical word, choose to bite your tongue. In fact, if you want to know how difficult that is, James devoted a whole chapter to it. You've got a chance to sin, not sin. Choose submission. David says, bow your plans down to the very plans of God. Skip down to five. We've covered four. Memorize a promise each week. Y'all, my favorite one is John 14, 3. It will always be my favorite one. I've preached it at, at my dad's funeral and a couple other funerals. I love it when Jesus is looking at his disciples and he's just told them he's got to go away. And here's what Jesus says to them. If I go 
and please hear me, if in Greek is a first-class conditional, it doesn't mean if, it means since or because. Since I've got to go, because I've got to go and prepare a place for you, he says, ego e me, I, I. We, we don't write it like that in English because that's not how we speak in English. But Jesus said his name twice, I, I, meaning I will come back to get you. I'm not going to send an angel. I'm not going to send another saint. Remember Hebrews 12 said there's a cloud of witnesses, meaning all of those Old Testament saints, all the New Testament saints, they're aware of what's happening here. They're aware. He says, I'm not sending one of them either. I'm not going to send Abraham as great as he was. I'm not going to send Elijah, Moses. I am coming back to get you. My favorite promise of all. Y'all listen, when I die and close my eyes, the next face I see is Jesus. Good deal, right? No loss in that. In fact, Paul says that's absolute gain. The next face any believer saw, the moment they took their last breath and their spirit escaped this body, which they're not going to use ever again, because the next one they get to the spiritual body, the first face they saw was the very face of Jesus. Let that comfort you. But let that drive you to an attitude of thanksgiving. So, so pick a promise. Focus on a promise each week. It doesn't have to be more than one. Just find a promise of God. Pick your promise. So, so four. So by the end of this month, you will have four promises of God in your arsenal. So every time things start to get tough, you start focusing on those four promises of God. And it starts to develop an attitude of thanksgiving over time. List out our previous blessings. If you've never done this, this is an incredible exercise. Just take a sheet of paper and start to write down all God's already done. Not what you want God to do. Write down what God's already done. And it will develop within you. It will cause within you this spirit of thanksgiving. Share with someone else who needs to hear it. Please hear me. There's always somebody else in your path that's got it worse than you. Share with them where your joy comes from. Be conspicuous. What did David say? I will not remain silent in front of the false gods. Meaning this, you are not to remain silent when you get a chance to tell somebody else about the greatness of Jesus. You're not given that option. Silence is not an option. The church has been quiet way too long. Silence is not an option. Strive for humility. Why? Because here's what God said. I'm not a friend to those who are proud. Strive. Please hear me. I didn't say arrive. You know when you will arrive at humility? When you're gone. Our Jesus comes back. Meaning this, all of us at some point will, will battle some form of pride. All of us. That's why the challenge is to strive for humility because here's what the Bible says. God takes note of them. Those who recognize their need for God in everything they do, God takes note of them. He's aware. And then finally, here's where we close. Seek His purpose. Y'all, I can tell you, uh, I've, I've always been very education and career driven. But as I look back over my career, there was much of my career that was much, much, much about promoting what Justin wanted to be. It wasn't about what God had for me. I was still doing good things. Please hear me. I wasn't sinful in that I was doing bad things. I was sinful in that I wasn't pursuing the best thing. Pursuing the best thing is the only thing that's worthy of God. So here's what we're going to do. Here's how we're going to close today. Sometimes I, I pose several questions to you. That's not what we're going to do. I've given you the list. Those of you who have your iPhones or your, your cells, whatever, if you want to take a picture of that so you can take it with you, feel free to remind you through the week. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to leave that for just a minute. I want you to focus on one thing only. 
surely in this room, every believer has at least one thing for which we could voice thanks to God. Surely in this room, every believer has at least one thing we can voice as thanks to God. So here's what's going to happen in just a minute. I'm going to have you stand up. And normally, you know, we, we go straight into a time of prayer. It's going to be prayer, but it's going to be a little more open-eyed. Because here's what I'm going to ask you to do. After I have you stand up, I'm just going to say, thank Him now. And I want you, not in a chaotic way, not in a disrespectful way, I want you to voice at least your one thing that you're thankful for. I want, I want the enemy to hear it. David said, I'm going to be conspicuous. He didn't say, I'm going to keep quiet. I want you to voice that one thing you're thankful for. Now, let me, let me clarify one more thing. This morning, I'm absolutely convinced of this. There's at least one person. There always is. There's at least one person who would look at me and say, Justin, I'm not disagreeing with anything you're saying. But I can tell you this. David spoke of a God he knew. And I would agree with you 100% and say, hey, great theology. But you would look at me and say, I don't know God that way. And here's my question for you. Would you like to change that today? Maybe you're here today and you feel far from God and you don't want to stay there. You know that that's not where you want to be. You want to be in dialogue with God. You want to be like David where you can... Sing about the attributes of God that He has shown you. You want to thank God for all that He's done. And right now, you don't feel like you qualify for that. Here's all I'm asking you to do. I don't want you to come forward because I don't want you to feel uncomfortable. Don't want to raise your hand, anything. When I have everybody stand in just a minute, here's what I want you to do. Just slowly, without drawing any attention to yourself. I don't want you to be just under this burden of, ah, I would do this, but I'm just so awkward in front of people. Listen, here's what I'm asking you to do. During the time everybody's standing or before we leave here today, walk over to those double doors because my folks will wait for you. All they want to do is sit down with you and walk you through a material we have that really answers tons of questions about what it means to be in an intimate relationship with God. I could use terminology like salvation. You're like, well, wait a minute, what do I need to be saved from? That's what we want to talk to you about. I could talk about redemption and sanctification and all this stuff, and all that would do is confuse you. And so here's all I'm saying. If you know in this very moment that you're far from God, but you don't want to be, all I'm asking you is for a chance to let us help you. We would like to answer your question in a very private way. We're not going to do it right here in front of everybody. Uh, our prayer response team folks will take you back to our fellowship halls right back there. It's a lot more private. You won't have a thousand eyes looking at you. And it'll give you a chance to ask them questions and give them a chance to go through material and say, hey, this is how you become intimate with God. This is what the Bible says that would lead you into a relationship where you could have the same type of prayers David had. If that is you, literally, when I have folks stand here in about five seconds, just start heading towards those doors. Okay, stand up, and remember how we're doing this today. When I give you the signal, I want you to voice to the Lord at least one thing that you are thankful